0: Alright guys, welcome again. My name's Tom. If we haven't met yet, I really would love to meet you. That is not lip service. Um, I really am convinced that God's called me to be a pastor and that literally means loving and serving people. So I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want you to know my family. I want you to know this church. So I would love to get time with you. would love to hear your story. would love to share mine with you. Um, but yeah, so this morning uh, we are in kind of a unique season as a church. Uh, we, we started about I don't know, 16 or so weeks ago, we started a series through the Gospel of John called Jesus Is, and we're really looking through the Gospel of John, the beautiful, amazing Gospel of John, um, about who Jesus is. Like, we want to see him clearly because we're convinced that, like John said, what we believe about Jesus is one of the most important things in our entire life. Okay, because what we believe influences our behavior. It's this massive biblical truth, this massive massive biblical principle. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Actually, probably about a month ago, uh, the sheer volume of people in the church that had questions about one specific topic in a very short amount of time uh, caused us to go, okay, God, what's happening? Many of you uh, came to me or to Herrick and said, hey, like, I have these questions about money, whether it was saving or budgeting or generosity or tithing or All these different things, but all of it had to relate to money. And it's funny because when when something like that happens as a pastor, it it gets your attention. You're like, okay, a lot of people have questions about one specific area. God, what do you want to do here? Um, And one of the things that we talked about last week when we kind of launched uh, this this new series that we're in... uh, we talked about how we want to be a people who are constantly, and when I say constantly, I really do mean that word constantly, constantly, contis- uh, continuously, and uh, um, consistently following Jesus. Like we, want to be f- we want to follow the Spirit of God, okay? We want to be people that walk in the Spirit, okay? We don't want to just go, okay, here's the plans that we've made. This is what we're doing. We want to be people who go, God, we want to, like, raise up our sails, raise up our mass and go, let the, let the wind of the Spirit blows us where he will, Okay, And one of the things that we prayed on was, okay, God, your, your, your people have questions about one specific thing. What do you want us to do here? And we really felt like God was leading us to pause our series in John and to do a short series on following Jesus with finances. Okay, so that's what we're doing. There's this picture, uh, or this picture, this story in the book of Exodus of the people of God, the Israelites, right? They are being guided by God through the wilderness, through the desert, by God manifesting himself as this cloud. So the cloud would move, and the people of God would pack up their things and they would move. Um, and then the cloud would kind of, you know, stop at, a, at a, a certain place and the people of God would set up camp there and be there because they were following God. They are following the cloud, right? And we talk about we want to be a church that follows the cloud. We don't want to be a church that follows the wisdom of man, although wisdom's wonderful. We don't want to be a church that follows culture. We want to be a church that follows the cloud, you know? We want to follow God. So we decided, okay, we're going to pause this series, Jesus Is, and we're going to start this series, Treasure, um, Following Jesus with Finance. Um, And what I want to be very clear is that this is not going to be a series about money. We talked about this a little bit last week. This is a series on Jesus, okay? Every time we gather as the people of God on a Sunday morning, we gather for the purpose of praising and worshiping him and rehearsing the beautiful truths about him because those beautiful truths about him inform who we are. And that empowers us to live the life that he's called us to live, a life of grace and mercy and love and justice and peace and joy and unity, all these beautiful things that we inherit from God our Father, okay? So all that being said, we're going to jump into week two here. Um, This is not a series about money, this is a series about Jesus, and we want to be disciples of Jesus, okay? disciple of Jesus is someone who's learning to obey him, enjoy him, and operate like him in every single area of life, including money. Okay, we want Jesus to be the Lord of every single area of our lives. If you are with us last week, uh, we talked about how money has this power, okay? Money, it reveals what we worship, what we ascribe worth to, okay? And not only does it reveal um, what we worship, but money has the power to actually redirect our worship, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, okay? We talked about that. We also talked about how nothing we have actually belongs to us, uh, that famous verse, the first verse of Psalm 24 about how literally everything belongs to God. We talked about how that means that the Christian is not an owner of anything. The Christian is a steward, a manager of God of what belongs to God. Uh, normally, you will not ever really hear me plug one of my messages, but I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, we kind of laid the foundation for this whole series, Uh, It's up on the website, on the church app, uh, on the podcast, I think it's iTunes and Google or something. If you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to listen to it, not because I want you to hear me speak, but because it really laid the foundation of where we are going as a church in this season related to this series. So you can check that out. Um, Today, we are going to talk about following Jesus with finances by investing in God's mission. Okay, so go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them. I'll be in the ESV this morning. I usually am in the ESV, the English Standard Version. But go ahead and grab your Bibles. Um, we're going to start today in First Chronicles chapter 29. That's going to be like front half of your Bible, but towards the middle. Okay, <clears throat> front half of your Bible towards the middle, Old Testament. I'm going to be all over the scriptures this morning, but the bulk of our time in the scriptures is going to be in First Chronicles chapter 29. So go ahead and flip there. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at King David's final moment as king over Israel. Okay, those of you guys that are familiar um, with with the Bible, really, you've you've probably heard of King David or you know a ton about King David. Um, And those of you guys that know, you know that David has done some like, (laughs) he's done some amazing things. Like he slays the giant Goliath as a boy with a slingshot, Okay, this like huge giant he slays, he defeats Goliath, saves God's people. Um, He's also done, King David's also done some pretty bad things, like his affair with Bathsheba. And David's also done some ugly things, like murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to cover up the affair. So Jesus, or Jesus, David is not, uh, he's not a perfect man, but yet the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. Despite his triumphs and despite his clear failures, he's a man after God's own heart. You see, the thing about David um, is that David's life is not marked by perfection, okay? <clears throat> but David's life is marked by one thing beautiful, that, that's repentance. And another thing even more beautiful, trusting God. That's what I want my life to be marked by. I know I'm not a perfect man. Anybody who know, you, Most of you know me, you know I'm clearly not a perfect man. But I want my my life to be marked by repentance, of turning away from sin and enjoying God's grace and then trusting him in his goodness and his kindness and his faithfulness to me. So before we jump in today, I'm going to pray for us. So if you would, would you join me? Hopefully you're in 1 Chronicles 29 by now. Um, But let me pray for us. Hmm. Father, thank you for grace that covers me, that covers us. I pray that this morning you really would lead us and guide us in this, Holy Spirit. I want to honor these precious people. I do not want to say anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. Um, So please use me despite me. I pray for each heart in the room, mine included, that we would be open to hearing the truth of who you are and be open to um, really submitting to your lordship because you're good and you're trustworthy and you're kind and you're gracious. So Spirit, would you reveal um, Jesus to us this morning? And Father, would you um, let your faith shine upon us, give us your presence this morning, so that we can uh, not just talk about concepts, but actually grow in submission to your lordship and following you, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. Okay, before we jump in here, it's important, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background, okay? Trust me, this is important. there are two places in Scripture where this part of David's life, remember I said this is the end of his tenure as king, this is kind of the twilight of his life. There's two places in Scripture where this part of David's life is covered. Okay, one is in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and the other is where we're going to be today. That's First Chronicles 29. Now, in Second Samuel, I'm sorry, actually, let me tell you this too. Uh, in 2 Samuel 24, they're, they're like in chronological order. Okay, they're in two different books of the Bible, but they're chronological. So if, if 2 Samuel chapter 24 is a Monday, 1 Chronicles 29 is a Tuesday. You tracking with me? Different books, but chronologically in alignment. Nod your head if you are. Okay, great. All right, so in 2 Samuel 24, what's happening there, we're not going to be in there. I'm going to paraphrase this for you. David's looking to buy a piece of land to build the temple on, Okay and it's funny because the guy that he goes to to buy the land from basically goes, David, you know what? You can have this land for free, bro. He goes, you can have it for free, but David's response to him is he's like, no way. He's like, no way. He goes, I'll buy that land at full price. David's response is like, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. He's like, God has given me so much. God's given me more than I deserve, and David's like, I wanna show my love for God in return. David wanted, he wanted it to be sacrificial. Now the scripture we're gonna cover today in 1 Chronicles 29, it shows David and he's taking up an offering, okay? He's taking up an offering for the building of this temple. And then we see in this this passage that we're gonna look at, we see David pray this beautiful prayer to God. Now here's some things that you need to know about the temple really quickly before we jump in. Uh, This temple, it wasn't going to be this like cool, fun, hip, exciting building project for the people of God to, you know, be proud of. This temple, the building of this temple was going to be a place where the people could meet with God, where future generations could learn about God. It was going to be a place where the next generation, their kids, right, and their grandkids would be introduced to who God is like not things about God, but genuinely, relationally be introduced to who God really is, loving and gracious and holy and good. So what happens is, is David, King David, he leads the way by taking this offering. So he doesn't just go to the people and go, hey guys, let's give. He starts things off himself, okay? He goes first. And what David does is he takes up this offering, he leads the way. He gets 3,000 talents of gold, and 7,000 talents of silver. Now, talent, when I talk about talent, it's not like an ability, you know, it's not like something you're good at, like a talent show. Talent was like a unit of measurement, okay? Talent was a unit of measurement. One talent was the equivalent of 75 pounds, okay? So David, King David, he gives away 225,000 pounds of gold and 500, you can whistle, 525,000 pounds of silver, Okay, that might not sound that crazy, but let me tell you this. One talent, okay, remember he gave, he gave let, me, let, me, let me look at this number. He gave 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver. One talent was the equivalent of 10 years wages for the average worker. Okay, so, do you know, I did some research like Googling. Do you know what the average salary in Southern California is? 60,000, what else? 75, what else? 90, wow, that'd be amazing. (laughs) 30, okay, you guys are all wrong. It's it's right about 50K. Okay, that's the average salary, Southern California, right at about 50K. Um, That's not median household income, that's salary per person, the average year's worker, right? Or the average worker. Now, here's what's crazy. So that would mean that today's equivalent, right? If King David, what was happening with them, today's equivalent, one talent would be $500,000. So, basically what we see here is David, king, he gives $5 billion of his own money. Now, as I was studying this, I was like, that's a lot of cash. Uh, (laughs) Most scholars say that this would have emptied out David's personal treasury. Like, all of it. Guys, this was a sacrificial gift. This would have definitely led to like a significant lifestyle change for David, okay? He probably would not have been drinking coffee at Augie's very often. He probably would have been drinking it at home. He wouldn't have been eating out a whole lot. He would have been like cooking like beans and rice and top ramen at home, okay? Yeah, (laughs) there we go. And here's the thing too, guys, like David's old at this point. Like I said, this is the twilight of his life. David is getting close to retiring as king. So the dude basically gives away his, his retirement savings, $5 billion, okay? And then what happens is beautiful, all the people of Israel give, and they give a lot. So you have this offering, right? And it's massive. It's huge, okay? With King David, he leads the way, the people of Israel, they redirect a massive portion of their national economy, their money, into ministry, Now here's the thing. What's most important about all this isn't how much money the people gave, but rather what was going on in the hearts of the people, including King David. And David expresses what's going on, he's expressing it in a prayer, and that's where we're going to pick up here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Okay? So go ahead and open your Bibles. Hopefully you're there. 1 Chronicles 29. I'm going to start in verse 9, okay? First Chronicles 29, starting in verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now, really quickly, where it says whole heart there, in Hebrew, the original language, it literally means a heart filled with peace. Okay? So there was peace and there was joy in giving money to God. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you experienced peace and joy giving money away? Okay, I don't know about you, but I tend to feel a lot more peace and joy when I receive money. Okay, when I'm giving it away, uh, well, let's keep going here, okay? And keep in mind, this isn't like extra money. This is like money you could use, right? Think about that. When was the last time you felt peace and joy giving away, not extra, but that stuff that you could use, Okay. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Uh, the reason that David and Israel felt peace and joy in their giving was because who they were giving to meant more than what they were giving away. To them, money mattered less than God. See, money wasn't their source of security because God was. Their delight was not wrapped up in the dollar, their delight was not in money, it was in God. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord. Here comes the prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. He's praising here. If you didn't catch that, boom, boom, great, you're amazing, you're amazing. He's basically like all the battles we've won as your people, as Israel, all the battles we've won, all the progress we've made, the fact that we are your people and we get to know you and enjoy you and obey you, it's all because of your gracious work, God, like God did some gracious, amazing things in these people and they're responding to him by recognizing that he's been gracious. Guys, these are not people who ask, why do bad things happen to good people? These are people who ask, why do good things happen to bad people like us? It's a very different perspective. These people are grateful. Let's keep going. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Sound familiar? Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Okay, really quickly. So Dave, what happens here is David's looking at this, this massive offering, okay? And he looks at it and he's like, God, you gave all of this to us. Like you're the source. Every last bit of it is yours and it's been given as a, grif- as a gift of grace. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Verse 14. I love this. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus, be able thus to offer willingly? he's basically saying, we did not deserve all that you've blessed us with. Keep going. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. He's saying the things that you've graciously graciously given to us, we're giving back to you. Verse 15. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. Really quickly, in other words, David's saying, we only give from what you've given to us and these material things this money this gold this silver this cash this life it's temporary it's not going to last okay david's like we didn't bring anything into this life and when we die we won't take anything with us guys what's happening here david and the people of israel they understood that their role is not owner it's steward we talked about this a little bit last week right like There's a difference between an owner and a steward. A steward is someone who manages someone else's stuff, okay? I want you to do something for me. I want you to consider everything that you have, like legitimately, itemize it in your brain. Some of you, that'll be easy. Some of you, that'll be difficult. But think about everything that you have, man, like your relationships. Think about your stuff. Think about your resources. How does the idea of you being a steward Change how you handle everything. Um, I try to teach this to my kids. <laughs> uh, Millie's not feeling good. She isn't with mama. But I try to teach this to my kids by kind of quizzing them. Like I'll ask them questions and I want them to like repeat the right answer back to me. And one of the things that I do uh, with Millie is I'll ask her like, who gave this to you? I know, this is going to be, this could go really bad, but I'm going to try it right now spontaneously. Who gave you that water bottle? Um, Jesus, yeah. And why did he give it to you? Um, it's okay. <laughs> I know, I put it on the spot. I'm trying to teach my kids, the response is to enjoy, to take care of, and to share, Absolutely to enjoy and to take care of and to share. I asked them, who gave this to you? It's a water bottle or a toy or your meal or whatever it is, everything that you have. Who gave this to you? Jesus gave this to you. Why did he give it to you? To enjoy, to take care of, and to share. Because I want them to know that their role is not owner. Their role is steward. <clears throat> the role is steward. Guys, David and the people of Israel, they understood this. My, my question to you is, like, do you understand that? Do you understand that your role is not owner, it's steward? Or do you, like me, struggle sometimes to believe this lie that like what I have actually belongs to me? It's not true. The Christian is a steward, not an owner. And that can be like an offensive thing. Um, I've struggled with that as well. But like I've heard many times people push back and be like, dude, you know what? Like I work hard for what's mine. Like, I have worked my tail off. I've earned this. And my response to that would be like, really? Like, did you earn the family that you were born into? Did you earn, like, the country you were born in? Did you earn your genetics? Did you earn what you're good at? Like, how different would your life be if you were, like, born into poverty in Africa? and your mom has aids and she passes it on to you like would life look the exact same would 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 your hard work yield the same results no way man no way the truth is anything good that you and i have is a gracious gift from god he's kind and he's gracious and he's loving and he cares There's something else here about the role that we play as stewards. It's important, right? Um, Being a steward means that God himself invites us to participate in what he's doing. Like, he entrusts things to us. Think about that. If we're a steward and he gives us his stuff, it means he's inviting us into something that he's doing. It's beautiful. And guys, God is in the process of redeeming, listen to me say this, God is in the process of redeeming the entire planet. All of creation, It does not take a rocket scientist to look around and see that things are broken. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Evil, racism, injustice, poverty, suffering, disease, death. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And I don't care what you believe, you know it's true in your heart. When you look around and you see that stuff, you're like, something in you is like, this ain't right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Guys, Jesus came to earth, listen to me, as an act of war. It's warfare. He came as an act of war to what? Advance his kingdom. Those things are not part of his kingdom. Disease, death, racism, poverty, all that, not part of his kingdom. Sin, not part of his kingdom. Jesus came to advance his kingdom. And friends, God is actively restoring all of creation to the way that it's supposed to be, man. Peace and unity and joy He's bringing his kingdom. You tracking with me? If you read Revelation, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to earth, man. God is amazing. He's bringing his kingdom. And here's the thing. God accomplishes that work of restoration through what? Through his people, through the church, okay? He starts with us. And in fact, he starts in us. Guys, the grace of God, like the grace of God has the power to transform us. It literally has the power to change our desire. The things that we want change. That's how powerful the grace of God is. And what it does is it transforms us. It, it changes our desires it, 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 to, to make us more like Jesus, to restore us to the way that we were supposed to be. You hear me? Let's keep reading. Verse 16. David's still praying. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for, your build, for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I, f- I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Verse 18. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. So David's like, God, we want to keep this attitude and this mindset forever. Like, we want to find our contentment in you and in you alone. He's like, God, don't let us forget. Don't let us forget that everything we have, we've been given and we've been given it by you. And we don't deserve any of it. It's all grace. It's like you and your kingdom are the only thing that matters for eternity, God. Friends, in this prayer, David basically says that the greatest thing God could ever give to them and their children is to make them aware of God's grace in their lives. I want that for my babies. I want that for my kids so bad, guys. I want them to know God's grace for them, his affection towards them, his kindness towards them, his unfaithful and unfailing and patient love for them. I want that for them so bad. I want that for my neighbors. I I want that for this valley. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. Skip down to verse uh, 22. I love this. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time, and they anointed him as prince for the Lord and Zadok as priest. Okay. That's 1 Chronicles 29. That's the prayer. For the rest of my time, I want to talk about two things. So if you're taking notes, write these down. You can use the notes app um, on the app, on the restored app if you'd like, but if you're taking notes, write these down. We're going to talk about the reason for stewardship, and we're going to talk about the best investment. Okay? The reason for stewardship and the best investment. Okay, reason for stewardship. So everything we have comes from God. Uh, This is crazy. Um, It means that nothing I have belongs to me. Nothing. So my house is not mine. Uh, Everything in my house is not mine. Uh, My car is not mine. My abilities, my talents, not mine. My money, all of it, not mine. It belongs to God. Not a single thing I have truly belongs to me, it's all God's. So listen, why then does God entrust his stuff to us? Like why? The answer to that question is the same thing I tell my daughters. I'm trying to get them to learn. <clears throat> why does God entrust this stuff to us? To enjoy, to take care of, and to share. Basic, simple, but if I could actually believe it, it would transform my life, okay? The same thing's true for money. To enjoy, to take care of, and to share. Let's talk about it, right? To enjoy. Um, using money to enjoy life is not bad. I think oftentimes people want to demonize money. Using money to enjoy life isn't wrong, guys. Uh, I'm going to read you First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It's going to be up on the screen. This is, this is the Apostle Paul. It says, As for the rich in this present age, which, guys, we're in America. This is us, Okay? Even if you're under that 50,000 mile, Mark, you're way better than a dollar a day, which is most of the planet, right? As for the rich in this present age, as for restored Temecula, <clears throat> charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who, listen to this, who richly provides us with everything to what? What does it say? To enjoy. Guys, Paul is saying, don't set your hope on money. Set your hope on God. God. But whatever God does give you, it's partially for you to enjoy. That's awesome. That's cool. That's wonderful. God cares about me and he provides money for me, partially for me to enjoy and get pleasure from and have fun with, and all to point back to the greatness and the goodness of the giver. Okay? Uh, I'm going to talk more about this in, I think, a couple weeks on this idea of jo- enjoying the blessing that can come from money. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's keep going, though. To enjoy, to take care of, and to share. Uh, I'm going to come back to take care of in just a second. Let's talk about to share quickly. Um, if you've read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, it talks about how some of what God has given is to be shared with those in need. Okay? I'm going to cover, again, I will to talk about this giving to the needy uh, in the next message here, but really quickly... One of the reasons that some of us have more than what we need is because God wants to include us in sharing with those who have less than what they need. Too often times I look around and people are just so fractured, not compassionate, not caring about other people's situation because they live independent lives. The church is not called to live independent lives. The people of God are called to live interdependent lives, and the reason some of us have more than what we need is because God wants to include us in sharing with those who have less than what they need in this season of their life. Tracking with me? Okay, awesome. <clears throat> so, why does God entrust his stuff to us? Come on. To enjoy, to, enjoy, to take care of, and to share. Well done. <laughs> Atta girl, Millie. <clears throat> okay. Now, back in verse 17 in 1 Chronicles 29, it mentions another reason why God entrusts this stuff to us. Did you catch it? To test our hearts, okay? Everything we have comes from God. His grace, right? Including money. And the Bible gives us a very clear test to see if we understand this. It's called the tithe. The word tithe literally just means tenth, okay, or 10%. I'm going to read you a quote from a pastor in uh, North Carolina. His name is J.D. Greer. He says this, quote, From the very beginning of the Bible, God has prescribed that his people return a tithe, 10% of what he has given to them, back to him. It is a test to see if we will acknowledge that everything we have comes from God, and that he is the one, listen to this, responsible to provide in the future. Now, The sad thing, the sad truth is that there are Christians who object to tithing. I hear all the time they say things like, tithing is Old Testament. Like, we've been freed from the law. We're new covenant people. Jesus, the law is done, right? Here's the thing, guys. You need to know this about tithing. It's not just an Old Testament law. It's a principle that runs all through the Bible. Like, tithing was pre-law with Abraham. Okay, the law, Ten Commandments, Moses, tithing was pre-law with Abraham. And tithing was post-law with Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. This is Jesus speaking, okay? He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Listen to this. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Got another quote from you. Uh, long-time pastor, Bible scholar, John Piper, says this about this verse. He says, so Jesus endorses tithing. Don't neglect it. It is not as essential as justice, love, and mercy, but it is to be done. So Jesus, God in the flesh, affirms tithing. It's not just an Old Testament law, Okay but it is a test. It's a test to see whether we truly believe, listen to me, that everything we have actually comes from God. Tithing is, it's an act of faith, of trusting in him, that shows we understand that our role is not owner, it's steward. Are you tracking with me? Give me a nod. Okay. So, everything we have has been graciously given to us by God. And Jesus himself affirms the tithe. But the Apostle Paul, I love Paul, he takes it way further. <clears throat> Check this out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's all about, I'm going to kind of summarize, you can read it later, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's all about how Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the basis for the Christian's giving. Okay, this is what, I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is Paul's words. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ." that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's beautiful. Paul says giving should reflect how Jesus gave. And friends, listen to me. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. Jesus gave it all. Paul says we as Christians should give in response to what Jesus has given us. Paul's words, okay? So, for the Christian, 10%, great place to start, but listen to me. Don't be religious with tithing. Far too many people get religious with giving in general, okay? Don't be religious with tithing. Listen to me. It's not about giving a percentage, it's not about a number. It's, a, it's an act of worship, friends. It's about sacrificing in light of Jesus' sacrifice. And man, what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to sacrifice in response to the king of the universe sacrificing himself for me. So, don't be religious about it, man. For some of you guys, God's calling you to sacrifice way more than 10% to him. Because it's his sacrifice that's the basis for our giving. So yeah, 10%, great place to start, right? But here's the thing. Listen to me say this. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive him. Okay? If you've ever read Malachi chapter three, it's basically like God's like daring you. It's like, go ahead and test me in this. He's like basically daring us, try and outgive me. See if you can do it. It's actually pretty funny. Read it. You can never outgive God. Friends, this should do something in us. As Christians who believe we can never outgive Him, this should make us, like, it should drive us to be the most radically generous people on the planet. Especially with money, man. It's all his. We're stewards, and we can never outgive him. <clears throat> Here's another thing, too. It's crazy. In that same passage, Paul says, He's like, I'm not commanding you to give. It's not a commandment. He's like, I'm not commanding you to give, but he says this, he goes, but if you if you love the one who sacrificed for you, you'll sacrifice too. Paul's saying that the way that you know that you truly believe that Jesus died for you is that you will give sacrificially just like Jesus did. He's like, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm just telling you this will happen, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter eight and nine, it's specifically talking about money. Go read it. Like, honestly, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. Okay, I'm almost done here. Second thing, the best investment, Okay. So, why did Jesus give us what we have to enjoy, to take care of, and to share? And remember I said that we were going to come back to the, uh, the take care of it part. Uh, what does it mean to take care of God's money? It means to be wise with it, man. It means to be wise with it. And what is the wisest thing that you can do with money? Invest it. It's the wisest thing you can do. Now, if you're anything like me, you've spent a lot of time in your life Uh, investing money in building our kingdom, okay? That's the story of my life with finances. I want to build my kingdom. And the problem is is that your kingdom, my kingdom, our kingdom is when we use money to do things our way. Okay, we can actually get the control that our heart longs for and we can use money to get that control, right? We want to do things our way. But here's the thing. Building our kingdom is is really foolish because it's temporary, But God's kingdom, God's kingdom lasts forever. My kingdom does not. Familiar verse, if you were with us last week, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 and 20, he says this. This is Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Temporary. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's this wonderful book on money called The Treasure Principle by this guy Randy Alcorn. I'm going to read you a quote. He says this, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because earthly treasures are bad? No. Because they won't last. When Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. No exceptions. Building our kingdom is foolish, man, because it's temporary. But God's kingdom, God's kingdom is forever. And just take a moment and think about how long forever is. Forever, and let me just say this too. I know I'm, I'm going to go off the notes here for a second. Heaven is not us like floating around on clouds playing harps. Like we get heavenly bodies, we live in cities, we eat meals. We drink wine in heaven. Like we are together in the presence of God where there is no sin and there is no death forever. No brokenness. Nothing. It's perfect. It's the way things are created to be. Total unity amongst us and total unity amongst you and God and us and God. It's this beautiful picture of unity. That that kingdom will last forever. So, taking care of God's money... It <clears throat> means, means like investing it, right? And investing it in God's kingdom is the wisest, best investment you can possibly make because it's an investment in things that will last forever. So how do we invest in God's kingdom then? By investing in his mission of advancing his kingdom. His mission is to make disciples of Jesus. And guys, listen, there is no more effective environment for making disciples of Jesus than the local church. It's God's plan A, like the only plan. There isn't a plan B here, okay? The best way to make disciples from, from God's perspective is the local church. It's this community, this environment where we help each other follow Jesus. <clears throat> and here's the thing that you need to know about us as a church. We're pretty, we're, we're how do I say this? Um, we're very simple when it comes to finances, okay? Every dollar that goes to this, that's given to this church goes towards making disciples and planning more churches, Okay, we're the fourth church plant <clears throat> um, in six years. We want to plant as many churches as we possibly can. Okay, so the vast majority of our budget, it goes to freeing up people from ministry to make disciples and to plant more churches. Like that's pretty much our budget, just so that you know, okay? Why do we do that? Because we want to make as many disciples of Jesus as possible. We want as many people as possible to enjoy, to learn to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus in every area of life. That includes Christians and non-Christians. Okay, the mission of God to make disciples of the people who already believe in him so that they can actually experience more joy of obeying him and operating like him in every area of their life and people who don't yet know that grace and that that peace and that joy. You following me? That's why we do it, okay? So, God's made us stewards of his stuff, okay? And he invites us to participate in something that will last forever. He invites us to participate in expanding his kingdom. Like, he invites us to play a part in people spending eternity with God in his kingdom. What could be more important than that? I would love, I would, just give me one thing because I'll dedicate my life to that. If there's something more important than making disciples of Jesus, I'll do it. What could be more important than making disciples of Jesus? I've seen men and women, boys and girls, have their eternity secured and the desires of their heart met and living for the benefit of others and experiencing the freedom of that instead of the bondage for living for yourself. There's nothing more valuable than the human soul. Nothing. There's a reason why there's a war going on, a cosmic war for your soul, because there's nothing more valuable. And guys, there are so many people who don't know the love of God for them. There's, 10, there's 500 Christians in a, in, a, in, a, in a country of 10 or 12 million people. That's just one country in Northern Africa. There's so many people who don't know the love that God has for them. Guys, there's even people sitting in church gatherings on Sunday who have no idea the love that God has for them because their, their life is structured around religion, about doing things to earn God's favor. The blood of Jesus says, you have my favor. You don't have to earn it. It's been poured out for you. Receive it, enjoy it. There are so many people who don't know the love of God right now. They're missing out on God's kingdom. And here's the thing. The story in First Chronicles, it gives us a clear picture, friends, of what life looks like when money is not the king of your life. Spectacular things happen. It shows us what the life of a Christian looks like. Hear me say this. If you don't hear me say anything else, the life of a Christian is a life filled with responding to the generosity of God's grace and prioritizing God's kingdom. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. Responding to the generosity of God's grace and prioritizing God's kingdom. I'll call the band up I'll close with this after I take another drink of water. Okay, I have another um, John Piper quote for you. I don't normally quote Piper this often, but <clears throat> John Piper says this. Quote, 3 billion with a B, 3 billion people today are outside Jesus Christ. Two-thirds of them have no viable Christian witness in their culture. If they are to hear, and Christ commands that they hear, then cross-cultural missionaries will have to be sent and paid for. That's Kyle and Kaya. And all the wealth needed to send this new army of good news ambassadors is already in the church. If we, like Paul, are content with the simple necessities of life, hundreds of millions of dollars in the church would be released to take the gospel to the frontiers the revolution of joy and freedom it would cause at home would be the best local witness imaginable. Friends, three billion people who don't know Jesus. Two billion of them have no viable Christian witness in their culture. Do you know what that means? That means there's no one to tell them about Jesus. And guys, how else are they going to know unless we tell them? Um, Recently, I read this article by this guy, Mike Holmes. um, And he gave statistics of what American Christians give. Just America. Okay, this isn't like the rest of the world. He gave statistics about what American Christians give. Check this out. It says the average Christian, the average American Christian, is giving back 2.5% of what God has given them. I'm going to try not to cry, okay? (laughs) During the Great Depression, the most financially devastating period in America's history, the average Christian gave 3.3%. The average American Christian gave more during the Great Depression than they do today. And the article goes on to point out what it would look like if the average Christian tithed, okay? If the average Christian gave 10% back to God. This is the part that just, like, slays me. There would be an additional $165 billion per year for churches to use and distribute. And the guy, through this article, he lists a couple things. He goes, here are just a few things that the church could do with this money, Okay? Keep in mind, that $165 billion is per year. <clears throat> Here are just a few things the church could do with that money. Spending $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and death deaths from preventable diseases in five years. So no one on the planet would be hungry. No one would be dying of starvation. And all, pre- all, like, all d- people that are dying from preventable diseases, it just wouldn't happen anymore. Okay? $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, especially at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar per day. $1 billion, just $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. This is the part that just like, wrecks me and there would still be over a hundred billion dollars left over for additional ministry expansion like planting churches. Guys, do you have any idea how many churches we could plant with a hundred billion dollars per year? Like hundreds and thousands of churches every year. And it says the average Christian in America gives two and a half percent back to God. Hear me say this, like I do not tell you this to make you feel guilty in any way, okay? This is not about us growing our church budget, okay? If you don't believe me, like, give it somewhere else. Give it to another gospel-centered church who's committed to the mission of God. I'm honestly totally cool with that. This is not about the church budget. It's about you and I trusting God more than we trust in money, okay? Listen to me. Many of you in this room are incredibly, radically generous people, Okay, I feel like oftentimes I'm preaching to the choir here, but I want to honor God, I want to follow the cloud. Okay, some of you are some of the most radically generous, incredibly generous people I've ever met. Like I've, my family has personally experienced how radical your generosity is. Okay, I've watched many of you be, be incredibly generous in the shadows where no one can see with each other. <clears throat> Like, I don't tell you this to make you feel guilty in any way, guys. I tell you this because it shows that far too many people are missing out on the gospel of Jesus. Inside the church and outside of the church. They don't understand how deeply God loves them. They don't understand God's sacrifice for them. Like, they're missing out on the peace and the security and the joy of being stewards and not owners. They're in bondage. Here's the cool thing about this passage we read today. King David and Israel, they understood, okay? They understood that that they were stewards and not owners, and they were able to build a temple that, that was far greater than any of their imaginations. Like, they invested in eternal things. They invested in the mission of God. And guys, they were not perfect people. Like, if you read the Old Testament, King David and Israel, like, they have a really ugly record, man. Like, they are not any better than we are but I want you to just take a moment. I want you to imagine, man. Listen, if you're not, if you're not following Jesus, if you're still investigating Jesus, like, I know this is kind of like a, a very uh, church-centered mission or church-centered message. Like, if nothing else, you can help keep your Christian friends accountable for how they spend their money. But for the church, like, I want you to actually imagine what it would look like. If you're in Christ, if you follow Jesus, imagine what it would happen if just this church gave sacrificially. Like, imagine what would happen. Imagine if this church gave in response to the way Jesus gave, like, even if it just started with tithing, man. And some of you guys are like, dude, you don't understand. I have so much debt. I have so much student loans. Start somewhere. Like, let God be the Lord of your life. Let God be the Lord of your wallet. Start somewhere, okay? But imagine what would happen if just this church started tithing. Like, guys, listen to me. The result would be God's kingdom expanding and multiplying, More and more people experiencing the peace and the security and the joy that Israel got to experience, man. The peace and the security and the joy of knowing and loving God and sacrificially giving in response to his generosity. And friends, there was no greater act of sacrificial generosity in the history of the world than Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, willingly laying down his life to save sinners like me and like you. To transform us, to make things into the way they're supposed to be. Friends, heaven is invading earth. It's happening. And I don't know about you, but I wanna invest in the eternal much more than the temporary. Um, <clears throat> I know I'm going a little bit long, but it's important. I wanna spend some time here quick, okay? Uh, last week I shared with you guys about Give Love. I shared about how every October, our family of churches, we collect this special offering, okay? And it's an offering that's in addition to our regular tithes, right? It's an offering that's above and beyond what we regularly give back to God each month. And each year we do this. We collect this special offering and we give it all away. Again, it's not to fluff our bank account or our budget. We give it all away. Hence, we call it Give Love. And on October 7th, Uh, during all of our worship gatherings for our family of churches, uh, we're going to participate and give love. And I'm so excited about it because I know that it's investing in things that are never going to perish. I know it's things that I'm going to be able to celebrate for as long as I exist in eternity. I'm so pumped about this, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to raise as much money as we can to support Kyle and Kaya as a family of churches and their efforts to see a church planted in, I almost said it, in Northern Africa. And I want to put that back on your radar. Like Paul, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm not uh, guilting you to give, but I want to put it on your radar because I want to encourage you to begin praying as a steward. Begin praying like how much would God have you invest in the mission of seeing disciples made and seeing people's eternity secured? Because I, I promise you this, there is a peace and a security and a joy of making kingdom investments that pale into comparison of anything else you could do with your cash. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? I pray the peace of Jesus over all of us. I know it's so easy to... uh, to live in fear, or to live in shame, or to live in guilt, or to be apathetic, or to be numb. Um, And my prayer, God, is that uh, the peace of Jesus now and the reality of his gracious love and his perfect performance in our place would really start to bubble up inside of us. Um, That we would be men and women who, like, we don't go along with the current. We're like current setters, like uh, the, the current of our culture that would say live for yourself, secure your secure your own security, kind of thing, like like manufacture your own security, use money to do it. I pray that we would be people who would say no. That's like a lie from the pit of hell because God, the God of the universe, loves me and He provides for me, and I can't outgive Him. And He invites me to participate in what He's doing, and that's redeeming all things. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you really would pour out your peace right now. Pour out your peace on us. We don't need to feel condemned. We don't need to feel guilty. We need to feel empowered by your spirit to walk in faith and trust, not just with our wallets, but with our time, with our energy and everything. And I pray that through that, we really would experience the joy of salvation, not just for the future salvation of being with you for eternity, but the salvation we have today of being free from the bondage of money, from the fear that causes us to like, feel like we have to secure our own security kind of thing. Like I pray just for freedom and joy now, God. I pray that we would live lives filled with responding to your generosity, your grace, and prioritizing your kingdom. Because you entrust things to us, you include us, and you give us stuff to enjoy and to take care of and to share. I pray that we would be people who thoroughly enjoy sacrificially giving towards the mission of God. I pray that we'd be men and women who take great pleasure in investing in the eternal, not the temporary. I pray that we would be men and women who take great pleasure in building your kingdom instead of ours. And I pray that we would have the best celebrations. (laughs) I pray that we would have the best parties of, of like genuinely at a heart level, celebrating filled with joy of you advancing your kingdom and you including us in doing that. It's not just money, it's our whole life. And I pray, Spirit, you would beckon us, call us into deeper, deeper relationship with you. More lordship, more of your lordship, less of mine. More of your lordship and less of mine. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen.